0: You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Different Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today we are here with Emily Sexton, founder of the Flourish Market. She had a past career on Wall Street as vice president of communications and change management at an investment bank, and now she has completely uh, ast- gone astray from that, traveling the world. And uh, founding the Raleigh, North Carolina boutique and online shop, The Flourish Market. She does a lot of really amazing things uh, for communities abroad, which she is going to tell us about. But I am really excited to connect and hear her story of travel and making impact. So, Emily, welcome
1: thanks for having me matt i 'm excited to be here
0: you're very you're very welcome uh, I'm, I'm, it's great to have you I really want to to dive in and try to give uh, some people out there who might be travelers themselves some uh, a little bit of framework i guess if you would say or or uh, maybe someone to model after because it sounds like you 've been to some pretty cool places in the world, uh, including Rwanda, and have had the opportunity to sit inside people's homes and really connect Mm -hmm. with the people in these places, and then Mm -hmm. you were able to come back to the United States and change your life completely, and uh, in the process, been able to to affect other people's lives as well, so I'd love if we could, uh, yeah, hear your story a little bit. What do you think?
1: All right, let's do it. So that bio sounded very official, <laughs> but I'm hoping that as folks listen, they kind of hear a bit of their story in mind because I think I have a lot in common with a lot of folks sitting in daytime jobs right now that are desk jobs that they may not truly love. And I'm looking back at my story, I'm so grateful for every season and what it's held for me. It's just taught me a lot. So I grew up in a small town in North Carolina, and I initially went to college Um, on a dance scholarship with the one sole purpose, one goal in life to be Britney Spears' backup dancer. That is a true story. um, Oh, my God. (laughs) um, You know, I was definitely putting all my eggs in one basket. And I got hurt a few months into college, but it ended up being the greatest thing that ever happened to me. So I remember going to my career center, and they said, well, This is at Elon University. Go Phoenix. Um, And I went to my career center and they said, well, the two biggest majors are business or communications. And I said, what's the difference? And they said, in communications, you're going to write a lot and in business, you're going to talk a lot. I love to talk. So I just decided to major in business and I loved my four years at um, at Elon. And one thing about my college that they really kind of played up was just being a good, um, citizen of the world. And I was part of, um, a fellowship project with about 15 other, um, folks, um, students. And, uh, we got to tackle a problem in the world and really spend four years on kind of digging in and seeing, okay, what is actually, um, an achievable change that we can make. And so um, we studied malnutrition in Honduras. The biggest thing my time in college taught me is that um, there is so much to be learned from people that live in the developing world. And I got to spend a winter semester in Honduras. And that was basically, I can date back the turning point in my life where I said, gosh, um, you know, they, there is just so much hurt in the world, but I got to meet, um, you know, several people in Honduras that from the, out, from the outside, it seemed like they were just doing such little things, but they were impacting real lives. And so at, that was the point in my life where I stopped being overwhelmed with all the world's issues and thought, no, I have a part to play and I can make a difference. Um, so I ended up right out of school instead of being Britney Spears backup dancer, I ended up taking a job with an investment bank. And if that sounds weird, um, like a weird transition, it definitely is. <laughs> um, but I fell into a job I loved. So I started recruiting and pretty quickly just kind of moved up the ranks. I ended up moving to London, um, and I got the opportunity to work in Singapore and Poland and Switzerland and um, New York City and just working with people of all different um, kind of cultures, but also all different walks of life. Um, the, the great thing when I lived in London is that I got six weeks vacation and I spent a lot of that time not only traveling Europe, but spending time in developing nations. And um, my skill set I was honing in corporate was well, you said Matt, I was the vice president of change management and communications. And what that means is I was tasked with winning people over to new ideas. So um, I used some of my my vacation time to spend time in the developing world of nonprofits and social enterprises, which if you don't know what that is, is kind of, um, if you're listening, it means social enterprise is kind of like a business for good, for lack of better terms. Um, I I spent my time on vacation um, with them using the kind of skills that I was honing in corporate to help them, you know, win people over to their fundraising efforts or win people over to buy their products. Shortly before my 30th birthday, um, two and a half years ago, kind of had a, let's call it a um, quarter life crisis, maybe quarter to midlife crisis. And I thought, okay, I'm having flashbacks to Honduras and it, it's my time it's my time, you know, I'm spending my time traveling the world during vacation, but I actually want to make this full time. And so I had saved up money, and um, one night as I was browsing on Pinterest, um, my husband and I at the time were really obsessed with the tiny house shows, Um, and um, I was searching tiny houses on Pinterest, and all of a sudden I saw what was a fashion truck. And if you're listening and you're not familiar with what a fashion truck is, it's like a food truck, except you open up the back doors, and you walk in to shop. It's like a mini boutique on wheels. And I turned to my husband and I said, gosh, I, I wish I would thought of this first. I'm like, how did I not think of this? And he his famous last words were, well, there's not one in Raleigh. So less than three months later, my friends all thought we were crazy. Um, we, we had I had quit my corporate job. We had bought an um, old uniform delivery truck. My husband had built out a boutique inside of this truck. Friends had come along and helped us design it. And I bought from my friends that I'd made from nonprofits and social enterprises all over the world. And um, we were like a little women's boutique on wheels. And at the time, we carried about 12 brands that all provided um, Dignified jobs to vulnerable people, selling you know we had clothes made by sex trafficking survivors, um, bags made in Ethiopia, jewelry made by first generation college students. Um, so also supporting USA jobs, and um, very quickly the demand picked up. And I thought, oh my gosh, people are interested in using their purchasing power for good, and being just really purposeful in how they spend spend their money on clothes and bags and jewelry. And, um, yeah, a little over a year later on Black Friday of last year, um, we opened up a brick and mortar store in downtown Raleigh. Um, so we've been there for about a year and a half now, and, um, it's just been crazy. Um, you know, we've done over a million in sales, which is insane when, um, you think about how we started <laughs> in the back of an old uniform delivery truck. But, um, you know, I, love reading business books, but I can tell you, Matt, the, at the heart of what we do and the heart of how we operate as a business, it all goes back to how I see people running their businesses in the third world country. So when all of social media and the internet's just stripped away, um, the heart of what we do is to serve our community. And I've just been so inspired and taught pretty much everything I know about running a business from the women and men I've met, um, traveling in the third world.
0: Wow. Okay. That's, that's it. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, first of all, congratulations on making this shift in, in your life and then creating a, a seven-figure business out of it. That's that's really amazing. Uh, Emily, and, and my first, very first question, of course, uh, my business mind goes, how do you find the lady in Ethiopia or the person to sew... Uh, the handcrafted textile mm-hmm. or where do you make these connections
1: that's a great question and that's usually everyone's first question um lucky for me in those eight years i spent in my corporate job like i said i spent pretty much all of my vacation <laughs> traveling to the developing world and sadly the fair trade kind of network is a small network but for pretty much it's like 90 95% of the groups we buy from now we buy from over 50 brands now I have been with them in person so whether that was seven years ago when I first kind of started uh, my volunteer efforts or maybe I visited them you know last year in Rwanda um, I visited almost everyone And the the two to three groups that we buy from that I haven't visited in person and vetted in person they become they've come to me by way of my network my very trusted network not just anyone that has been there in person and said you know no this you know no one's being exploited everything is going really well um, and that they're just on a really good trajectory for doing good in their community um, because we don't only just buy cute things I'm looking to partner with people that are making lasting sustainable change in their communities whether that's in Nashville for a brand that we work with that, helps women come out of addiction programs. Or if it's that woman, you know, in Ethiopia, that's a leather maker. We're always looking to partner with, um, you know, businesses that are already in place. So I don't work directly with any artisan. So I don't send like a photo, for example, from anthropology and say, can you make this? Um, you know, these <laughs> are fair trade brands. People always wonder that. I'm like, no, these are fair trade bands that are already, they kind of have, um, you know, I can give them feedback on some of their products and ask for maybe a few changes, but they already kind of have, Um, a process in place if they're making jewelry or clothes or handbags and they're bringing line sheets to me and they're telling me what I'm going to pay them um, for that product and then what I'm going to sell it for in my shop so they name those prices for me people always ask about that
0: oh interesting so they name the prices Mm -hmm. for you right okay and that kind of limits your Risk, if you will, not really risk, but you're not like the big, bad flourish market who goes in there to Thailand and drives down the prices, or right. you know, at least they're right. they're doing that they're that's all set already I right guess. Uh, okay, and That'd... people
1: ask about fair trade, and that's really how it works. It is a fair
0: trade <laughs> okay, what can um, you define for me? What does fair trade actually mean because we what of my interests in? is debunking. All of the, mm-hmm. you know, if it says gluten free or if it says right. uh, organic or when it says right. natural, right? What is that? What does fair trade actually mean? And how can people in their own lives make good purchasing decisions?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, huge question. I don't feel fully, um, <laughs> I'm like, you're not going to like my answer. So fair trade means different things to different people. And there's um, the Fair Trade Federation, there's the World Fair Trade Organization, there's lots of different um, kind of organizations that exist that can give kind of people that, that stamp that you would find on food as an example, on like coffee that would be fair trade. It's similar to that stamp. Unfortunately, in the um, kind of garment industry, bags, jewelry, um, those kind of stamps of approval don't always um, mean what they say they mean. So for me, it's very personal and it's that I have actually, like I said, been on site, met with folks, understand what's going on. And for the few folks I haven't, the few groups I haven't visited, they come to me via a trusted network. So my definition of fair trade is that it's a literal fair trade and that the producer feels that the price they're asking me for that I then give them for their product is a fair exchange. Um, And so when you ask the question, you know, how can people kind of make sure what they're purchasing is good. It's do do your research. The first thing I always um, encourage people to do is to watch the movie True Cost. Um, It's very eye-opening. You kind of see some of the problems I just hinted at that are within the industry. Um, And then there's a really great blog that I think your folks kind of would have some good overlap with, and that's called The Good Trade. And um, they highlight companies that they've personally vetted um, that are just doing really great, good, sustainable work. Um, so, yeah, I wish I just had this nice and tidy package to hand to you and say, this is what it is and this is how easy it can be for a yes or a no. But kind of like, Matt, you like to debunk theories of all the things we see on, you know, maybe food labels. It's kind of it's kind of like that in um, the fashion industry as well.
0: Okay, now that that makes a lot of sense. And for anybody mm-hmm. who's listening who wants a link to this movie, True Costs, or this documentary, we're going to put all of the show notes on under30experiences.com slash blog, and you can click the live River podcast if you're listening on iTunes or SoundCloud or Google Play or whatever people with Androids do. I think that's Google Play. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so they can they can get all that. We'll try to link this stuff up. Could you tell me again what the Good, tr- good Trade is? It's an organization who ranks these types of uh, programs.
1: It's actually a blog, oh, okay. and um, when people jump on it, yeah, it's just a great blog that highlights in detail um, you know good things that awesome companies are doing in the fair trade industry. And they may not be certified fair trade yet, but maybe they're a certified B Corp. But they've personally vetted the companies that they're highlighting, um, and I think that you know the under th- uh, under thirty folks will love it. Um, your crowd will love it because. It's um, kind of got a similar vibe. Um, and yeah, I just always love reading their articles and kind of seeing deep dives into what companies are doing. And the True Cost movie, the links you'll find there, even on their website, they have really good kind of like, okay, i watched the movie, now what? Like how can that change my buying decisions? Um, and they have some really good resources there too.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, no, that, yeah. that's really good. And all right, so to go along with that, Topic for people who are always trying to support good causes with their uh, with their hard-earned dollars, um, or or people who want to vote with their dollars and support mm-hmm. the causes yep. who are doing good things in the world. So you could go on the uh, the Good Trade blog. Mm-hmm. They could do their research. Um, yep. One of the things, for example, that I think of, and now of course. Whole Foods is owned by Amazon, but if I'm thinking in general, okay, now I'm not the biggest Whole Foods fan in the world, (laughs) but if I'm thinking, is this going to be good for me or is this bedded? I can at least know that I'm shopping at a store that probably not a lot falls through the cracks. For example, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying everything's good for you in in Whole Foods or that Mm -hmm. everything is quote-unquote fair trade. But that's one strategy that I Mm -hmm. use as I look to the retailers and think about, all right, am I buying this at Walmart or am I buying this at Whole Foods? There's a huge difference. What else can people do when it comes to this stuff?
1: So I think those are some good starter resources, and obviously you can visit our um, our website, The Flourish Market. We're an online shop, but even if you don't want to shop with us, like I said, we carry over 50 brands, and we even put, for most of our products, the brand name. And so we even give a little blurb under every product that says what that brand does, and then you can always just go and Google that brand and read even more, see their artisans and see you know if they're a nonprofit, their transparency kind of reports, um, and just Kind of see more of what they do and that's why i founded the flourish market matt i found it so hard to find a place that i could shop like a quote whole foods to use your example um and i was frustrated because what i was finding online is um brands that made beautiful things and it was definitely you know what you would call fair trader conscious fashion but i couldn't afford it um and i was just thinking gosh and then the things that i felt i could afford that were within my budget were on trend. And so I thought there's just gotta be a better way. And so what we do at the Flourish Market is, we'll, we buy select products from the brands we partner with and say, okay, this is accessible to most, this is on trend, and we curate a selection that should look like um, any other women's boutique you would walk into. Um, so I hope, like I said, we can be a good resource for people too, just by going and looking at our products, you can see the brands behind them. and. You know, Google them to find out more.
0: Okay, great. So that's a good start for if they're at home. Now, what if they're abroad? For example, it's really Mm. easier. It's really Mm -hmm. easier. It's really easy to go down to the beach here in Costa Rica and find these tourist towels that are made in China, and everybody loves them because they're printed. I don't know if you know what the Costa Rican uh, cologne looks like, but they they have. Uh, they have sharks and monkeys and sloths on their, Uh. their, uh, money. And they, so they print it out like, uh, like Cinco Mil Colones is like this beautiful yellow. I think it has, uh, I think it has the white-faced capuchin monkey. On their uh, on their or on their Cincomil Cologne, cologne. so they have that right, and everybody loves to buy them because they're cool looking towels. But they're made in China, you know. I mean, I'm not positive that they're made in China, but they're definitely not made in Costa Rica. Most likely not ethically made. Yes. So okay. So sure, that's still going to help that person who's sitting there a little bit because they got to unload their inventory. But there's a better way that you can shop and just know what, sniff out these types of things when you're yes. abroad. And uh, what would you tell people who are shopping abroad and they want to make sure they are giving the person a fair trade?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's a great question because I think when we travel we all you know, yearn to have a little piece of our, um, something tangible to take back home to remind us of this great experience we just had, um, but I think if we kind of all think about maybe what we bought, it's a ton of stalls, and it's the products like you're describing that that are probably most likely not ethically made. Kind of everyone, everything looks the same, and maybe a couple days later you go to another city, and what you thought was unique, you find the same exact things there, and you'll find that in any city, especially big cities, all over the world. What I would say is a good starting point for you, um, and I love the way you guys do travel experiences because I love that you stay. And boutique hotels, and it sounds like you're really having a local experience. Um, and I just love that when hearing about your company. And so, um, what I would say is use local resources, ask the local people do you know any local makers?
0: Start mm-hmm. there
1: um, because not only is that going to ensure that you're getting something that's you know fairly made, locally made, supporting the local economy, and a real artisan, right? Not made by a machine but how cool is that you actually have something that's like legitimate to take home. um, That's actually local to take home from your travels. So I would say that's a really good starting point. I know the good trade had a good article on this too. Um, But also I know to just besides asking local folks um, that live there, when you're going to markets and stalls and kind of just chat with the people. And I think your gut is such a good informant of, does this sound for real or um, is this maybe not a good situation? Um, And so I always like to chat at folks because some of the market stalls really are owned by local people. Maybe they're selling a few things that um, maybe everyone else has, but a lot of the stuff in their booths is actually made by them and I think chatting with them and having a conversation oh my gosh how did you make this how long does this take you this is incredible and you know speaking with them and kind of going with your gut I think that will really help guide you to good choices too.
0: just be smart you know okay excellent excellent and yeah be, be a discerning shopper mm-hmm. wherever you're spending your money that that makes yeah. perfect sense uh, okay excellent so so Emily um, let me see. I'm trying to think of of where I have so many questions running <laughs> through my mind. I, I'm trying to think of uh, what to ask next. I guess I wanted to dig into your travels a yeah, little bit let's more do it. because when you, I, I'm curious as to how you selected uh places to go and what your travel style is like. Uh all right, so you were (laughs) you were staying in you had a job in London, you had six weeks off of travel. Mm -hmm. Uh Mm -hmm. obviously it was easy for you to hop around uh that part of the world. And Mm -hmm. uh yeah, I mean it sounds like you had a good job. Now you have to do Mm -hmm. six weeks of travel so that's gonna add up eventually. So I'm curious what your personal travel style was and how you seems like you get off the beaten path a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm curious. And and look, you don't have to tell me, oh, I would never uh, I would have never gone to the center of Paris and done the same, you know, seen the (laughs) Eiffel Tower like everybody wants to see that in their life, Uh most likely. So, you know, not everybody just has to set out for Rwanda. So I'm curious more about your overall strategy when it when it comes to travel.
1: So at the core of who I am is I love building relationships. And so pretty much all of my travels have been um, selected because of someone I've met in a past travel experience or because of someone I've uh, made a relationship with through our business. Um, I remember, um, well, I told you about my experience in Honduras. Um, right after I graduated college that summer I went to Swaziland um, with a few of my friends and we were there as a part of an organization that was building a well in the middle of nowhere in Swaziland. And From that trip I made a couple of connection points and literally I feel like can, I can date back any other travel I've done besides a few fun trips with friends from that one trip and the connections I made um, because I loved staying in touch with people and asking, oh my gosh, well do you know any other cool things going on, just trying to expand my network. And just a really tangible example of that, when my husband and I um, were in Mexico this past January celebrating our five year anniversary, um, we sat we, we stayed at a boutique hotel and we just sat with the woman um, who worked at the front desk and we're like, where do the locals go? Um, and then when we would go to a bar, we would ask the bartender, okay, where should we go? What, what are the best beaches? Where do the locals go? You know, Where's the best this type of food? And just kind of hearing from them on how they live their lives and how they enjoy it. That's the experiences we wanted. Um, and when I'm in the developing world, it's the same thing. I always want a translator so I can speak with the women I'm meeting um, and just really have a good conversation with them. I want to know what their lives look like. It would be any conversation I'd have with a— maybe a friend of a friend. So if someone, you know, wanted to introduce me to someone here in my city in Raleigh and we kind of booked a coffee date, it's the same questions I would ask them, you know, what do you do with your days? Oh, tell me about your kids. Tell me about, tell me about your job. And so these are the types of conversations and experiences I want to have, um, when I travel. Um, yeah, I went from flying definitely like first class (laughs) to, as you can imagine, I don't fly first class now. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just crazy where life will take you. And just, I was thinking um, as I was um, preparing for this podcast just how much travel has changed my life. And when I look back, so I'm 32. I'm still inching into your
0: demographic, Matt. (laughs) I'm 32 as well, so I'm also aging myself out of the own company. Uh, I get it. I've heard all the the over 30 jokes. I'll spare you. You know, you could please spare me, is what I mean to say. Uh,
1: Well, when I was looking back at my life, I'm thinking, gosh, the things I thought I'd care about, you know, my corporate job, or even in my job now, and numbers, etc. what I remember when I look back on my life are not those things. It's, you know, when I turned 25 and I was sitting on a rock in Italy in the middle of the night with my two best friends celebrating the day of my 25th birthday and they started singing happy birthday and literally two mile radius around us, all these Italians started singing happy birthday to me in the middle of the night in the wow. dark. It was, I mean, that is what I remember. I remember, in Swaziland, um, these women that were making candles, um, I got out my cam my camera and I was taking photos of them. And I showed the woman a photo of herself on the back of my camera, and it was the first photograph she'd ever seen of herself in her whole life. And this beautiful joy beamed across her face. You know, wow. but these are the things. These are the things I remember. Um, you know, I remember. this sounds awful but getting so so sick in uganda that um a doctor came into our hotel and um gave my husband an iv and gave me a charcoal pill and i took it not knowing what it was and um you know he strapped up the iv for my husband with a um like a little plastic, what are the things called that go on your hands that are plastic? I'm, a plastic glove. He tied it up to the our like broken windowsill, the IV, and um, you know, he just arrived on a little motorcycle with a black backpack. These are the stories I'll tell my grand because these are the stories that have marked my life, and um, I'm just so glad to be um, kind of in a position in life where I feel like um, life's not coming at me, but I'm actually... Um, uh, Defining the life I want to live.
0: Wow, that's uh, that's a great answer, and I, I'd <laughs> love if you could expand a little bit on on defining the life that you want to live and how our listeners can do the same.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm like things I wish I would not upset. I'm just kidding. I love this <laughs> question. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that. So I loved my corporate job, and it took um, it taught me a lot. What I would say though is that I spent far too many years of those eight years thinking that I couldn't make any changes and I made a lot of excuses. And I've come to find that um, when something doesn't go your way or you're in a position in life that maybe is not ideal for you, acknowledge that and then you have two choices. One, make an excuse or the other choice is to figure out a solution. And so about a year before I left my corporate job, that was when I realized, okay, I'm not gonna do this job forever. I feel a little lackluster. I feel like I should be doing more. So what is the solution? And working on defining that and think, I just don't think people take the time to think about what makes us happy? What makes what makes me happy? What brings me joy? What have I enjoyed doing? Um, in, in the past and we just let life come at us so quick and r- run our days. And, and, um, I just remember one night it was when I turned 29 and I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is my last year in my twenties. I sat down and thought about things that brought me joy. I was walking my dog. I was obviously traveling in the developing world. It was time with friends. And as I started to make this list, um, I realized that most of my days weren't spent like that. But they more easily could. And so obviously I couldn't quit my job right away. I was still saving money and trying to plan for this next season of my life. But the decisions I could, the things I could change were spending more time with my friends, spending more time with friends. So I got, I reached out to friends, got them on my calendar. I could walk my dog every day with my husband. This this was something we we weren't doing. Um, You know, I could go to yoga in the morning to set my intentions for the rest of my day. And once I started integrating things into my life and solutions for joy that you know I just hadn't been intentional about, that started to cultivate bigger changes in my life. Does that make sense
0: sure, absolutely while you were talking it got me thinking on uh, thinking about yeah well what what are those memories that are going mm-hmm. to uh, that I'm going to remember and what what I'll, how how would I define the life that I want to live? And, mm-hmm. and of course, I had my own quarter, quarter life crisis at, I think, 26, <laughs> 25, something as like that. As one does. Yeah, 26. Yeah. At, yeah, as one does. And, and set out to travel and was uh, obviously extremely impacted by those travels. And, um, yeah, set out to try to, okay, change, change myself and then, try to do some good in the world uh, along the way. And so, but yeah, it's very interesting to, to hear about that. So if someone is out there trying to, it, you know, is it as simple as just sitting and saying, all right, uh, what does make me happy and just mm-hmm. think about that? Or, you know, do you suggest people do take time off uh extended time off uh to explore different things what do you suggest for people Mm -hmm. who want to take action on that advice
1: i think taking action can overwhelm people because they have to they think that they have to do this big thing of you know quitting their jobs and taking a three-month sabbatical and i would say before you jump to any of that or feel overwhelmed don't let the feeling of overwhelm make you inactive start small what is one thing you enjoy and put that on your calendar for the rest of the week? You know, so if you know that you enjoy, um, trying to think of something my husband enjoys. Um, he enjoys going to trivia, but there was a time in his life where he felt so busy with work that he wasn't going to trivia every Tuesday night with his guy friends. And I was like, you need to go back to trivia with, with your guy friends on sure. Tuesday night. And so I think just starting with that and try to add in one thing every week, and I think that's gonna better help make your decision of, okay, I'm getting in a good place, I'm doing some some things that are adding joy to my life, it's cultivating gratitude in my life, and then you can make the bigger decisions of, do I need to take three months off? Um, because I think no matter, I, I've seen my friend, my friend has one of the most demanding jobs, and she's a mom of a one-year-old, and she even can take the time, you know, an hour, she can mark out an hour, which she recently did, to think about things that bring her joy and to mark out time for those things. So I think, you know, don't think about, uh, well, unless you're having a quarter or midlife crisis like Matt and I were, (laughs) um, even before that, Matt, I'm sure you were doing things that um, cultivated gratitude and brought you joy in your day. I guarantee you are because just in my short time talking to you. So I would say just start somewhere and start now. Um, And then I think just, kind of a thought I had when you were chatting about defining the life you want to live and something Matt you had said to me before we um, started recording the podcast in our short chat was that, um, you're a big believer that people should do the internal work first before they, you know, set off to just go and change the world. And so I don't need to misquote you, but that's kind of what I took from what you were saying. And that made me think about, um, you know, when I think about living the life I want to live, it's the the legacy I want to live in the world. And I didn't come up with this right away. It's kind of come to me over the last year or so as I've fallen into a rhythm of where I think I'm, you know, called to be serving in life. And that is, I want women to know that they are worthy of influence. And it's not that I don't want to work with men or encourage them. It's just, um, you know, in what I do, (laughs) it, I own a women's boutique and I just feel really drawn to tell women, that they're worthy of influence, and that's because kind of my whole life, um, just for various reasons, I told myself I wasn't worthy of influence. And I know that sounds silly when you think about what I do now, but I remember just from a young age, even growing up, I just felt as a girl and then, um, you know, as a teenager and a woman that um, I just told me, it wasn't even anyone else tell me that. It was just kind of how I internalized things and things I was telling myself. And so I've had to do a lot of good work um, you know, on myself to be able now to confidently deliver my life's message into the world. Um, and you know, it's not just that I want the women that we partner with into the developing world to know they're, they're worthy of influence. Usually they know it. <laughs> um, and it's, it's amazing. I find that in the third world, it's so much easier for women to doubt their influence. Um, I think when we have, you know, used to be keeping up with the Joneses, but now the Joneses are in your back pocket on your phone. And when we see all these people doing all these things right in front of us on social media, we can really, um, we can doubt can seep into our life. And so, um, I would challenge people listening, you know, when you're thinking about defining the life you want to live, think about not to sound morbid, but the legacy you want to live behind, um, as well.
0: That's, that's great. Uh, yeah. Legacy is so important. And I've never heard that connection, it makes perfect sense about it used to be keeping up with the Joneses and now the Joneses mm-hmm. are in your back mm-hmm. pocket. I'd never heard, obviously, I know that social media, we something we talk about on the podcast all the time is how, yeah, I mean, look, if social media is giving you anxiety, get rid of it or limit yourself right. or right. don't try, you know, look, it's, it's not the point is to have the coolest Instagram or the most followers or whatever. Um, that's something we talk about all the time but yeah that that 's really interesting and and I wanted to dive in emily uh, you said something about not feeling worthy of influence mm-hmm. personally in mm-hmm. in your life growing up, and of course that 's shocking to me because you were the the mm-hmm. v p of change mm-hmm. management at an investment <laughs> bank uh, where I read that in your huffington post contributor uh profile so i can't imagine that you would have a or would have had a story of uh unworthiness so could you could you tell me could you explain that a little bit more to me sure
1: and i wanted to just share that very open and vulnerably because um not that i feel like i've made it i think that's kind of a joke um actually someone messaged me on instagram and was like was that latest post an ad and i'm like no one's ever reached out to offer to pay me money to post about something. So it cracked me up, but just coming from a person who's being interviewed for this podcast, I would say that I just like to openly share my struggles because every single person is going through a struggle. Um, and just a note about social media, I think it, you know, it gets a bad rap, but I think it can be amazing. Last spring I actually, um, because of struggling with, uh, doubt and, uh, struggling with my worth of influence i unfollowed over 500 people on instagram and i set a limit of i can only follow 100 people And the rule was that those people i followed had to inspire me they had to live vulnerable open lives showing their, their cracks and so um you know instead of all outright quitting social media which i thought i should do i actually was like no i think it can be used as a space to inspire but um kind of backdating to your question matt the the biggest time I can remember kind of having this sink in was, um, so I grew up in a small town in North Carolina. I grew up in a small but amazing church, and um, my youth minister at the time was, and still is probably, like one of the, the women I looked up to the most, and she was an amazing mentor in my life, and um, she died really abruptly my high school year of... Um, uh, my senior year of high school. And she had always told me, um, you know, um, Emily, you're going to be in ministry too. And um, I remember after she died, someone telling me, which is so awful, um, that um, the reason she died is because our church ordained her and she spoke from the pulpit and um, God was punishing her in our church because women shouldn't be in those types of leadership roles. And Although my head was like, oh, hells to the no, <laughs> obviously, my heart internalized that. And I had—I didn't realize that until um, just a couple of years ago that I had kept that with me. And um, I was afraid of playing big. I was playing small. I was afraid of playing big because at the heart of it, when I really dug down into my issues, I felt like I'd be punished um, if I stepped out. Um, and so obviously, it's very clear to me and probably clear to anyone listening, that's a lie. Um, but it's funny what we internalize, isn't it? it's funny what we hold on to that prevents us from doing what we're called to do in this world. And um, yeah, I think so the the message I want to share with the world is deeply embedded with me. Um, And it's a fight and decision I have to make every morning and it's a battle I I fight every morning to claim that, to claim my worth. And so um, as businesses, when you think about like target market, my target market is women who have that daily battle too. Wow
0: okay uh, i would love to dive into this topic uh and for a second because i speak yeah. with so many people who were you know not picking on any one religion but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. any religion has their dogma or any religion mm-hmm. has their yeah. twist, their twistedness for the back the lack of a better Term and uh, no matter what your belief system is, I mean, you, okay, you personally, Emily, talked about going to yoga and setting your intentions, and that can be Mm -hmm, completely mm -hmm. non secular. Uh, It doesn't have anything to Mm -hmm. do with any religion or nor is it a replacement for any and this is in my opinion Mm -hmm. right and that you can go and you can think of setting your intentions as completely uh, completely in a non-esoteric way in a very scientific okay i'm just trying to ingrain i'm just trying to program into my subconscious what I want to do for the day and those are my intentions Mm -hmm. or I mean that's what I woke up and that's what Mm -hmm. I did this morning I have a meditation practice Uh, I sat outside on uh on the jungle and speaking of the jungle I just turned my head to the right and there is a uh, monkey crawling yeah probably about 10 feet from me sorry if I sound distracted I'm but I'm so
1: I, sad because there's snow outside my window yeah Randomly right here in Raleigh
0: <laughs> so uh I sit, I you know I sit out there and I have my meditation practice and then I just set my okay my intentions For the day, it doesn't have anything to do with any religion or anything like that. I just – it's like goal setting to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, of course, I think of it in a more spiritual way because that's what I relate to a little bit better. But again, if someone doesn't care anything, it doesn't care at all about anything esoteric that's fine. And that, well, okay, then they're just trying to set their goal for the day and and replace that word for for intention or, or, you know, you don't have to talk to God or you don't have to talk to the Mm -hmm. universe. But where I'm going with this is so many people who have religious upbringings uh, have been influenced in ways that are just not healthy, as you just pointed mm-hmm. out uh, from this one comment or, or that somebody had made uh, that has stuck with you for a very long time. So if someone it feels trapped inside of uh, this limiting belief system mm-hmm. because of the ways that they were raised in, again, it doesn't have to be Uh, religion, but a lot of times that's what it boils down to. Mm -hmm. How how can they step outside of that, outside of their culture, outside of the things that they've been brought up to believe and cultivate their own thoughts and gain that self-confidence?
1: Gosh, I just love that so much. It's funny. So I'm a Christian. I was at um, a church meeting last night, which sounds so boring, but I love the church I'm a part of. It's finally, um, it's the only church I've ever belonged to in my whole life that I feel like I can invite anyone to. And um, I love it because one of the biggest restauranteurs in um, in our city, he's Buddhist, um, he's from Laos and he's just a beautiful soul in our city. Um, and he visits our church, which is awesome. And I would say, I've learned so much, his name's Van, I would say, you know, to answer your question, I've learned so much from him. About, um, about that question you just asked. And what I found is that um, uh, he's such a good listener. Um, and so my challenge to folks that feel uh, maybe bitter, um, that have had a rough and rocky past with any religion, is to find people of faith, any faith, and sit and listen to them um, and hear their stories. Because I bet you anything, if someone has a deep faith, they've come from being screwed in the past, um, I think we just live in a broken world, and that's the reality of it. Um, actually, you know, I was a part of a church that um, just a few years ago that felt like out of left field. They made a decision that women couldn't serve as elders or preach from the pulpit, and I remember leaving in the middle of that announcement with a few cuss words and (laughs) walking, like just, I didn't even get my car. I think I left my bag and everything behind and just walking. And I was so bitter and I was fuming and I was bitter for at least a year. And I think that we can choose to be bitter or we can choose to make the situation for us and others better. And it took me a while to get there. And um, I have an amazing therapist (laughs) that's helped me through a lot of things. But in reality, I wanted to make, Um, the church religious process better for people. And I couldn't do that when I sat there bitter. And so um, I would just really encourage folks that maybe come from a place of being hurt. The first thing I'll tell you is, especially on behalf of my faith, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That really sucks. And I can't even imagine what you've been through. I've just had a taste of it. And it honestly hasn't hurt me that bad. Um, I jumped back in pretty fast. But um, Van, my, my friend who's Buddhist, has just taught me, Um, beautiful things can come from really crappy pasts and really crappy things and um, just to, yeah, I just love listening to Van and so I challenge folks, I guess two things just to sum it up. One is to listen to people of the faith that you think, um, you know, have something to share with you, listen and learn from them. Um, And then just make that choice to turn from being bitter to make, to make things better for yourself and others. It is a choice. It's a hard one, but I know that we're capable of hard things.
0: That's excellent. That's excellent. Emily, that is, uh, yeah, some wise, that's some wise advice. And it's just I mean, I was not brought up in a religious household. And so, you know, my family never, uh, my family never brought me to church actually one time, uh, I was a member of the Boy Scouts and we went to a, it was a, oh, a camping trip at West Point, uh, West Point, New York, the, the military academy. And we huh? went to, we went to church after. I don't know why I'm telling this story right now, but, uh, <laughs> I don't think I've told it on the podcast ever before. Uh, but when we went to church and, uh, oh, it was, I think it was Catholic Church and there was an offering where you eat the little cracker, uh, the body of mm-hmm, Christ. Mm-hmm. I believe it's supposed to be. And I don't know why, but it tasted so disgusting to me. <laughs> or maybe I got sick at the same time and I went outside no,
1: at the church. You. Yeah,
0: like 13 years old, 12 years old, probably, and puked my brains out over the oh, railing. Oh, and I thought, God, I, I thought I must be possessed. I must have the devil inside of me. And and I joke because, you know, I was a 12-year-old kid. I really didn't know what was going on inside the church anyway. And I probably didn't care, honestly. Uh, but my – jeez. Uh, yeah, so anyway, I tell that story. I don't even know why because it's well, funny. Well, it's crazy. I guess. Like
1: I think everyone has an ex- – like that, right? Where yeah, we I just had this like awkward, you know, experience with the church, and I forgot to loop back to how I started my answer to your question. That I was at a church meeting last night, and we were talking about. Um, so, so I I'm on the communications team for my church, kind of like what are our touch points with folks, and um, basically, we're like, if we do everything correctly, and you know, we we love and we serve. People, we don't have to really um, articulate X, Y, and Z because we're, we'll be living lives that are worth imitating. Um, and so um, that would be my hope as a Christian that I do that. And I know I fall short of that on some days, but um, I just know, like you met, everyone's had those awkward experiences and bad experiences with, with religions, not just with Christianity, but like you were saying, all religions. And I think, you know, give it a second try, go in. Listen to people that maybe you're in your trusted network, and um yeah give it a second shot that's
0: uh yeah that, again that, that's good advice and I've gone to other actually I enjoy there's a, a Buddhist Sangha uh, that I will attend occasionally and and it's much more interesting to me than you know I relate much more with that and uh, I, I went to a Buddhist uh, temple in upstate new York. I'm, I'm from New York State and I went there and it was very interesting. The first thing on the door that it said, the first rule was to question everything. And I was like, you know what? That's mm-hmm. that's really that's really cool advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, um, Emily, this has been this has been really awesome to to chat. And I wanted to just wrap things up and and see uh, what you could offer to to people as. maybe their last uh, last takeaway and and I love how you you didn't give like hey go have your own quarter life crisis you said just do (laughs) one little just do one little thing Uh, but if somebody is wants to consider their legacy uh, Mm -hmm. out there and they of course want to want to get started but they just need uh, a little push in the right direction Mm -hmm. Um, what would your advice for someone who wants to to take a good look at their legacy and start to, to build their life in the way that they can be proud of? What would you tell them?
1: Gosh, this is going to be an unlikely answer, but I promise I'll bring it full circle. And so um, I think that life takes a village. So I grew up probably like many people did. Um, it was kind of our parents' generation, but pull yourself up by your own bootstrap. And when things went wrong, um, they sometimes weren't addressed, things were swept under the rug and it was kind of like every man for himself. And, um, at least I felt growing up that, um, when I was going through kind of a life crisis or questioning things, um, that I couldn't bring up my questions, like you were saying Matt, question, everything I could bring up my questions or my struggles like vulnerability wasn't really openly accepted. And now we live in a day and age where vulnerability is at the forefront of, um, of our generation, which I think is beautiful. And I think that, you know, you're not meant to figure out your legacy on your own. You're not meant to live life alone. And what I've learned in the developing world is that that's the way they do life. It truly does take a village. Um, I remember, um, one of my times in Rwanda, a woman, um, she was, clearly very sick and I bent down and held her hand and the translator was telling me that she had malaria and malaria is like the flu times 10. It's awful. And you normally don't die from it, but it really takes you down for a while. And, and, uh, then the translator started pointing out that, um, you know, that woman over there, um, she's taking care of her cows and her friend over there is taking care of her kids. And those two friends over there, they're tilling her land. And I thought, I want what she has. And soon after I returned from that trip, kind of shiitake hit the fan in my life. And for the first time in my life, truly, truly the first time in my life, I had to invite friends in to to help me, to help me get up on the bed in the morning, Um, just really, like, um, just um, live life again, for lack of better words. And that's really where I found myself was in that just vulnerable position of saying, like, I can't do it all. And so I love that our generation gets to lead vulnerability. I love that we get to question. I love that we get to challenge and share our struggles with folks. And so if you're listening and you truly do um, have, you know, you're like, gosh, I just don't know what I'm teetering on. I know I'm not happy now, but I kind of want to jump into a new season in life. Um, share that with your village. I think the first step in building a village is admitting you need one. And so reaching out to a friend or a group of friends and sharing with them um, what you're going through, what you're questioning, what you're thinking about. And don't be, don't be you know, um, frustrated if they don't match your vulnerability or if they don't understand. Um, a lot of my friends don't understand why I travel and do the things I do. But I'm hopeful that the more you reach out, kind of the more encouragement you'll, you'll find um, on your journey.
0: Emily, that is amazing advice. Uh, you're not going to believe this, but the monkeys are actually trying to come into the house. They know. I heard
1: something going
0: on. <laughs> Did you hear it in the background? I'm I sorry. I had it. to like. They come up to the to the window and they try to open the screens. Now uh, <laughs> they know I must have just gone grocery shopping. I think they can smell the bananas. I have a, awesome. a whole thing of bananas sitting on the counter, so I was guarding it a little bit. So, Emily, if people before I have to uh, before with turns into planet of the apes over here where can people connect with you personally and uh, check out the thrive not the thrive sorry i'm so i'm so distracted right now because of uh sorry the flourish market, uh, the, flourish market. the thrive no market worries, another not. great resource is the thrive market but uh yes. yeah literally there are I 10 like monkeys the thrive
1: market yes. it is a great okay. store um, <laughs> I'll make it really easy for people. TheFlourishMarket.com is our website, so that's our online shop, but you can also find links to all of our social media there. And um, We party on Instagram so hard, so we're at The Flourish Market. I'm all about Insta stories, I share encouragement there, really stupid, hilarious things that happen to me. Our goal is to make you laugh, um, especially women, not that men can't follow, but um, we're mostly talking to women usually, and I just want to encourage you in your life. and. um Help you realize you're not that crazy. Um, and also, um, I send out an email to our email list once a week. Uh, we've actually grown a huge email list, and uh, I think it's because people want encouragement. They want to be able to fill their cup each week. So you can sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, theflourishmarket.com, and you can just sign up for that at the bottom. If you're looking for some weekly encouragement in your life, we'd love to be able to provide that for you. It's also really fun. We're trying to. something fun in there
0: too (laughs) excellent excellent well i'm gonna sign up and uh all this again can be found on the show notes under 30experiences.com slash blog emily thank you very much i hope that you uh, continue to do more speaking and more podcast interviews because more people need to hear your story and you rocked it so thank you very much
1: thanks matt so much
0: hey are you looking for an adventure Are you looking to take your life to the next level, to reflect, to retreat, to figure out what the next steps for you are? If so, I would love for you to come to Bali, Indonesia with me and my girlfriend and yoga teacher, Luz Garcia. We are staying in the Malayang village in an amazing villa, and we want a dozen people to come with us this September 30th for this yoga and mindfulness retreat to combine it with some incredible adventure on this sacred island, the island of gods as they call it. Uh, We're going to have cultural experiences that we have set up over the last five years operating on the island of Bali uh, through under 30 experiences going into the homes and temples of the local people. We're going to have a uh, children's orchestra lesson. Uh, We have really nice little causes that we support in this village in Bali. It's going to be an incredible experience. If you want more information, you can email me directly, maddenunder30experiences.com. And no, you do not have to be under 30. We are an inclusive group rather than an exclusive group. And if you are a podcast listener, that would be amazing to have you out there. We're going to throw out $100 off right now using the code Different, And I would love to take our relationship to the next level and have you be part of our community. Check it out, under30experiences.com.